but that's been a change right. because essentially from November, I think the biodiversity game comes in. Right. I'm already saying to some of these developers, I said, like, you know, you're going to have to be really, really careful about what you purchase because if 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 you're going to have to monitor that and it's not in school properly, yeah. you know, you're going to have some issues. So you're going to have to up your game. Hello and welcome to Rethink What Matters, the podcast dedicated to aligning the economy with the ecology and everyone for improved business performance, stronger families and a greener, cooler planet. And today I'm joined by Dusty Gedge, a recognised leading authority on the design and implementation of green roofs and urban biodiversity. He is a technical and policy advisor in urban green infrastructure and biodiversity enhancement in the UK and abroad. He has been instrumental in writing strategic reports on both green roofs and green infrastructure, including the London Green Roof Report. An urban ecologist and former punk, he was, back in the day, a circus performer, juggling, acrobatics, unicycling, escapology and the third man of four standing on each other's shoulders. That's one from the top to you and me. Also a very keen ornithologist. There are tears ahead, so hold on tight. So let's go back to the beginning and how you first became interested in green roofs and urban biodiversity. Well, I mean, I've got a rather rather interesting history. You know, I, I, when I was a teenager, I was a big bird watcher naturalist and I was going to go off and, I don't know, do a degree in forestry or something. And for whatever reason, sex, drugs and rock and roll, I ran away and did a degree in theatre arts and became a, okay. became a circus performer and an actor. That's why I moved to London, to, to South East London. But um, 23 years ago, I'd set up a circus workshop for truants who were smoking too much drugs, and these are young kids. And I right. set up this workshop to, um, you know, basically try and use circus to get them to go back to school, really. And yeah. the guy who paid for that was part of a project in Deptford, South East London, and they wanted a bird watcher, and he knew I was a bird watcher. They wanted a professional bird watcher, and I got employed all these yep. bird surveys and I found a bird called the black red star which is a protected species and it's an odd species because the kind of places that it likes to live are bomb sites post-industrial landscapes brownfield sites you know not pristine wilderness and because it was protected we had this idea we could put the habitat on the roof and right the rest is history and so it went from there. Yeah, and there's nearly, up until the 2008 plan, nearly all the green roofs that were going in in London were before yep. the yep. Black Red Star. So King's Cross has got green roofs. I wrote that report 2001 because there are Black okay. Red Stars all over King's Cross. Okay, got you. And I know that you've contributed to you know many projects and publications and conferences and you've worked with you know, NGOs and private organisations in raising the awareness of um, you know the, the benefits of green roofs. Yeah, well, I mean, so, in fact, you know, what I did, I, I mean, I suppose what I did was really, I was, a, I was a bird watcher who found a rare bird, which we might talk about later, but uh, yeah. I, I was really, in a way, a bit of an environmental activist, and my main role in the 23 years ago was to try and get a, a policy in London, and so I basically went to Europe to find out everything, well, I basically went so that I knew more than anybody else. 
And um, it, I ended up writing the technical document with a colleague of mine, Gary Grant, um, to support the London plan, and the policy was enacted in 2008. And we've got okay. a lot of green roofs in London. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I've uh, done a podcast with Gary, and he mentioned you. Oh, so, yeah, brilliant. And so I'm really glad to be, you know, to be recording this podcast with you, uh, with yourself. Um, you know, and also I see that in terms of why we need to do this, that uh, um, there are some 56% of the world's population are in, living in cities today. Well, 75% um, of the European uh, Union lives in cities. It's even higher. Right, OK. And, and apparently it's expected to increase up to 7 out of 10 people in 2050. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, cities... You know, I mean, what that's saying is the majority, you know, UN globally, the majority of people in the world will be living in cities. And cities yeah. have a lot of problems. And one of the problems they have is a lack of soil and vegetation. But they have a lot of buildings. So if you put soil right. and vegetation on the buildings, that should yep. ameliorate many of the issues uh, regarding the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis. So green roofs help cities adapt to climate change. Yeah, but you can't believe how um, how necessary this is today, you know, with obviously global warming and all the problems we've got in society as well. Well, I think I think a lot of us, even back 23 years ago, maybe even longer than that, green roofs were on the agenda when I was in the 70s, 80s doing environmental You're right. stuff. But, you know, okay. because of the climate crisis and all the cops and all that, yep. we're recognising, you know, now at governmental level, that these things yeah. are important. I mean, I've just got to tell you, 2004 was the first time the UK government used the word climate change. I remember right? these things. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, in 2006, we had a heat wave in London, and I was getting emails yeah. from residents of council flats saying, can you help right. us get a green roof park because we're overheating? That's 2006. Right, right. yeah, absolutely. So these things are moving, things are starting to move a lot faster now. So there are many benefits to urban biodiversity and, you know, and green roofs. Um, can we just go through those benefits, what they are? Because it's more than just having a pretty roof, isn't it? It's more than just having a green space. Yeah, I mean, let's look at the headline issues. Um, obviously, my interest is biodiversity, which we can talk in more detail later. But the main reasons we need green roofs are urban cooling, roofs, right do something called the albedo effect they basically reflect heat back at night and it makes the city temperature hotter and cities right. are generally hotter than the countryside uh, because yep. the countryside has got vegetation soil so what is known as the urban heat island effect green roofs you know you have to have a lot of them will help cool cities down so last year we had you know we had the worst heat wave on record the green roofs might not have looked as pretty as maybe some people want what may want but they will help cool the city down. And the other thing associated with that, often after a heat wave, we get these really intense summer storms. And, right. You know, these aren't the one in a hundred year storms. These are intense, short, five minute storms. And green roofs are sponges. And they suck right up and they ameliorate local flash um, flooding because of yep. um, um, summer flash storms. Okay, all right. So. So they help to so water management is a part of that yep. then stopping you know the water actually all building up on top of those roofs, yep. and then you know overwhelming the drainage yeah. as well. Particularly in summer intense summer storms because they're really right. really intense. And then you've got all the other things. I mean, a, a big one for me now 
his well-being because of covid people being yeah you know and he's watching people in italy locked away and he's going like if they had a roof to go on and yeah. sit in nature yeah yeah absolutely and, and so well-being is a very important thing and it's slowly getting up the agenda in, in cities and livability and then you've got mm -hmm. air pollution you've got noise pollution green roofs are really good at um, cutting out um low frequency noise which is aeroplanes you know right all the way to Heathrow yes a lot of the noise pollution and you know air pollution and to a certain extent there's some carbon sequestration if if more if you've got trees on it the more if if they're marked on a green right. roof which are meadows you know less carbon sequestration the thing about green roofs and my friend Paul Collins always says you're really good at saying this green roofs do a lot of things reasonably well right most other things do only one thing very well right and that's a really important thing green roofs provide multiple benefits not single yeah. benefits so a solar panel produces energy that's what it does yes but a solar panel on a green roof produces yeah. energy and you've got all those other uh, environmental benefits i think it's just a um such an important subject urban biodiversity and urban greening um, i think gary called it you know just this idea of bringing the countryside you know into the cities and um and that has to be good for well-being, doesn't it? And families. So families is an important part of what we're trying to do at Waterloo as well. So it's all about aligning the economy, the ecology with everyone. Um, and, and family has to be a part of that. And green spaces can only help, you know, uh, help families too, can't it? Uh, I spoke with Jenny Bailey. Jenny Bailey, yes. She... Yeah. And uh, I'm going to be doing a podcast with her, with her, um, what is it again? The... Um, Tales from the, um, you know, tales from with her tales from the countryside. Well, I mean, I, I, books. I, I gave a lot of advice to her. It's a story about uh, um, a hairy footy flower bee and the black red star stars in it. And I like, it's a rather lovely book, actually. It really is lovely. Yes. So it's beautiful that that's bringing all of this together as yeah. well. You know, uh, businesses are, are interested in this as much as the public sector, uh, probably more so. Well, I mean, I think it's starting to change. I mean, the main reason most people most businesses have green roofs because there's an obligation in the planning system certainly in london but what's very right. interesting this year and i've noticed it already um most financial real asset companies have got to report on nature it's a mandatory duty and mm -hmm. i get i go into a lot of banks and legal firms and you know a lot of people up in the city and this year i've noticed they're going dusty nature it's really hit the business and our green roof, this is really interesting. So I think what's going to happen now is I think businesses are going to start recognising that this is not just something they have to, they're obliged to do through, you know, the national government or the, you know, the Greater London Authority. That actually, yeah. it's a mechanism for them to report mm -hmm. on nature. That they're actually doing something meaningful on their own building. Right, brilliant. Well, that's that's great news, and it's got to be good for employee well-being, hasn't it? You know, it's just nice to. Nice to have a green roof to go to. Yeah, well, you know. I mean, there's a little conflict there, if I may, Paul, because what happened is, yes. for whatever reasons, you know, a lot of what happened in the United Kingdom has come from my laptop. Uh, <laughs> from my laptop, it was from Gary's laptop, or it's from right. My you two, I've got the two main guys yeah, yeah. on my but, podcast, you know, so I've done well. What a lot of ecologists say is, oh, you know, these green roofs, they're for biodiversity, so people shouldn't go on them. And I go, well, why? So there's a roof I go onto a 202 Bishopsgate. I can't remember which company's in it. I used to do a yeah. tour there on, on the Open Garden, Open Square the weekend. 
I remember yeah. once doing the tour, and seven of the people worked in that building, and they didn't even know they had a green roof. And I said to them, would, you, would you like to come and sit out on this roof and have a cup of coffee? They said, we'd love to. I said, but are you right. happy? I mean, this roof looks like Dungeness. Uh, right. If, if a roof is accessible, all of a sudden it has to be privet and lawn. Yeah, no, this is... And there's a video I want to do soon, because I'm going to sort of tell viewers, I've got this YouTube channel, I've doing all these videos. I went to a restaurant Brilliant. roof in Zurich last year while I was there. It's just a wild, what they call alluvial gravel, wild flower meadow. Right, no, right, no, yeah. Nothing, it was just wild. And it's right yeah. in the centre of Zurich. Now, if that was in England, that would have had bamboo, yeah. lawn and privet hedge on it. Right, yeah, yeah. And I think there's, it would be great if uh, more people could, I think anyway, you know, start promoting the idea of wild flowers and wild gardens and getting everyone to, you know, not think that it has to be manicured to be, um, to be livable. Well, I hope you're a great fan um, of No Mo May because I'm a massive fan of No Mo May. No, 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 no May. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, what about the challenges then? Let's, let's, uh, you know, the challenges of implementing uh, urban biodiversity. Specific, what we want um, in terms of urban biodiversity is we want, you know, native wildflowers, native pollinators right. and native birds. And um, certainly what I do, mainly what I do, I mean, I do other stuff at ground level, but, you know, in terms of roofs, what we need to do is get a lot of our, you know, lovely the oxide daisies the vipers blue glosses the birthfoot trefiles all what we call calcareous wildflowers onto our roofs and you know within that if people are going to have access to it you could add some non-native but good for wildlife you know bamboo is non-native but it's, it, it's got no use to wildlife so we want plants that have got used to wildlife and we're slowly mm -hmm. moving there and, and there's one roof i should talk about really yeah so this is at the Museum of the Home, which is viewable as you go into the museum, all from above the DLR. And I was asked to design this roof. Uh, it's not really what I normally do, because it, it's what is known as a semi-intensive green roof. And they wanted it to represent what the Museum of the Home's about. So I've got a friend of mine, David Matzdorf, who lives up in Islington, who's just mad yucca man. And he just plants all these mad plants from around the world. You know, not native. And, you know... Museum of Home wanted something like that, so I designed this roof using yuccas and aloes and curry plant, and you know I'm quite I'm quite pleased with it because actually when you go and look at it, you go like this is really quite interesting, but it's underplanted with the London wildflower mix which we use on green roofs, and people said to me, you know that's really great, Dusty, because we've got these mad yuccas sticking out, and then you got oh, yeah. you know the echiums and the you know the the self here and the whatever so you know there's a combination there's a way of doing this that you know can give aesthetics but for me and i think gary would agree because gary's more like that is it's the function first not the form let's yeah function what what is it functionally there to do deliver for velocity right. so let's get that right and it sounds to me you know from what you were saying a little bit earlier that people can set these green roofs up and kind of leave them. Well, that's what happens most of the time, out of sight, out of mind. But I think, you know, what's interesting, you go to places like Berlin, you've got a lot of social housing where the residents can come to these native meadows yeah. and look at them and they'll have sunbathe on them. There's a little rule that says sunbathe somewhere differently, but they're not allowed to have a right. So it's all, it's very German. What you find in Germany is okay. really nice meadow roofs, which are my type of roof, but they're maintained properly. They're installed properly. Right. 
and okay. enjoy them. An, an unkept uh, green roof still meets some requirements of whatever green roofs are meant to be doing then. Only if it's done properly. Still going to need to be maintained then, well, isn't it's, it? It's, it's still very minimal need... maintenance on a green roof because it's not like a normal meadow at ground level. It's not, it doesn't need mowing, mowing everything. What it needs right. is a bit of an annual weed for essentially woody plants because you don't want woody plants on the green roof. Right. How, how often are these roofs just left like that then? How often is a project just to have a green roof up there as opposed to a nice living space? Well, I mean, the majority of green roofs in most cities in Europe are what are known as extensive green roofs, which really aren't roof gardens or parks. Um, the, the issue in countries like the UK is because they're out of sight, out of mind, people aren't installing them as good as they should be. That's the issue. Right. And what's what's the consequence of them not installing them as good as well, they should they, be? What's the, you know, they they get they get they're not as diverse and they're not not as florally rich, but that's going to change right. because essentially from November I think this biodiversity net gain comes in, which is yeah. And in a city, about the only way you're going to get biodiversity net gain, and it will be in a, in an inner city, is green roofs, yeah. and they're going to have to monitor those for five years. And I know that because I wrote the metric. The BNG. Yeah. So, so right. I'm already saying to some of these developers, I said, like, you know, you're going to have to be really, really careful about mm. what you purchase, because if 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 you're going to have to monitor that and it's not installed properly, yeah. you know, you're going to have some issues. So you're going to have to up your game. You know. So issues being. Well, if it doesn't deliver for biodiversity in terms of the metric. Right. Then it's not. It's not. That's the issue. That's yeah. Anything. And how is that? How is that going to be measured? Well, this ten percent. I mean. Well, I, I, I have a process to measure biodiversity net gain on green roofs, but you know that's a commercialism that I have. But essentially, right. somebody's going to have to go up there and say whether it meets the metric, you know, physically right. or remotely, like my company Gentian does. But you know, right. what that means is, so I, I specify a lot of roofs, and then, I, then for whatever reason, they ask me to come and, um, exp, you know, basically inspect them, tick them off. I go back yeah. and I say that's not what I specified. Okay, so how have they changed it? What would typically oh, would they I, I have done? I don't want to go into there, but it, no, it, okay, could, be fine. it okay. could be the system no, supplier right. saying, I think this is going to be better, and he's convinced them. But if you do that with biodiversity net gain and you use an inappropriate system, you're going yeah, to you're going to fail. Well, that's good. A lot of money. That's going to cost a lot. Yeah, we're going to, you know, we need those things done properly, yeah. don't we? Just tell us a little bit about your company, then, please, Dusty. I'll give you the background to it. So from about, because we set up this policy in 2008, and we knew by about 2010 there was about, I don't know, 200,000 square metres of green roofs in London. Well, you know, I wanted to know how many green roofs were installed. So I'm not joking. I physically, every summer in 2015 till 2020, mapped all the roofs of London on right. Google Maps. It took me all of all okay. I mean, right. I'm completely sad I'm a, I'm a real sad yeah? So I happened to meet a mate of mine, and he said to me, you know, we could do that remotely using satellite. So we set up this company initially to remotely map green roofs, and we're doing lots of work for local authorities across the United Kingdom. I'm, in fact, about to publish a league table of the United Kingdom because uh, I mapped 34 of the cities. Um, and, and that's now moved... Well, it, it was always intended to move to be able to remotely assess a green roof in terms of biodiversity net gain but we're also now doing that out in the, the wider countryside so we can map habitats and we're currently working yeah. with plant life to map 
and, and verify whether our AI is really good at identifying you know, certain habitat characteristics. What we're very good at is identifying different grasslands, which often ecologists get wrong as well. So Gentian, it's a, it's a smart meter for nature, as we like to call it. Smart meter for nature. How do you spell Gentian? Gentian is a French, uh, well, it's an alpine flower, G-E-N-T-I-A-N. Okay. And Ooh, it's an brilliant. alpine flower. And we have a couple of what? French speakers in our company who, I think they were the ones who decided. But, um, are birds returning to cities when there are green roofs? I mean, going back to your bird story, I guess. Well, there's a lot of black red starts in London. I mean, I, I, I can't be absolutely right. certain. But the story that I tell, I've got a video on my YouTube channel coming out in the next three months. The linnet, basically the linnet is this small finch that, uh, yep. you know, was once really common. The Victorians, it, it did have a bit of a collapse because Victorians got into caging it and then that got banned. But, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a very pretty, but it's not like a goldfinch. Everybody goes, oh, goldfinches. Linnets are kind of a little bit boring. But I've got a book of finches that I bought when I was a young you know, teenager. It was written in 1953. The linnet common absolutely common right common common yeah. common quite a famous book by eric sims for bird watchers out there in my lifetime the linnet's population has collapsed it's right okay because of intensive agriculture so in the early days when i was doing all this bird watching professionally i i, I was actually the official bird watcher for the for the dome back in 1999 90, 98 99 2000 2002 so i did all the bird okay. surveys around the dome and there were about six to ten pairs of linnets on the dome area right on the peninsula the whole peninsula so the, the whole yeah. of the Greenwich peninsula yeah yeah now for whatever reason there's a roof that i've been heavily involved with the last five years and on that roof that roof has been completely seeded by seeds that i've collected from around kent and southeast england uh, southeast right. London. that roof in 2020 had 20 linnets feeding on it Right, right. There right. are now more linnets on the Greenwich Peninsula than there was 23 years ago. And that okay. every single new development on the Greenwich Peninsula, yep. which is a lot of developments, all have green roofs, and the linnets Brilliant. are using the green roofs to feed on. That Excellent. is, that, when I stand up in front of, I do a lot of public speaking, that nearly makes me cry. That's really that's cool. brilliant. That, is really that, that really that, that goes to show, and then and then all and everything that follows from that you know, kids looking out of their windows seeing those birds. Yeah, you know, what do they need to do to go get themselves a green roof besides contacting yourself? Well, the first thing is be very careful when you go onto Google and don't buy the lightest system possible, which is what everybody does, and then in a heat wave it dies. So, I have to say, I've got another little thing called greenrooftraining.com which is a complete right. guide to a DIY green roof or a a garage, an extension, and it explains all the structural implications, the waterproofing inclinations, and it tells you, right, you can go for that, but if you want yep. a really good green roof and look out of your bathroom and clean your teeth and enjoy it, do it like this. Okay. Can you give us two or three things to think about, or, you know, in, in terms of what they might learn on your course? Well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an online guide, it's not a course. Okay. Guide. Essentially, you want to have at least 10 centimetres of soil, substrate. We call it substrate, which is a stony aggregate, yeah? You need yeah. that much. If somebody says to you, oh, we can give you the lightest green roof, you know that that's not what you want, yeah? Okay. Light means okay. not good in the green roof, you know, in terms of vegetation. Right. Light means good from a structural engineering point of view, not from a 
Okay. That's a good point. Go 10 centimeters. And, you know, get get it built by a contractor using our guide so that it's done well. And then what you want to do is you want a mix of sedums and wildflowers. But people say, oh, I want one of those sedum roofs, don't I? You go, no, you've got a mix of sedum and wildflowers. And then you'll really get a lot of joy out. Let's get on to the other half of this, which is, you know, maintaining them, looking after them afterwards. Well, I mean, so is it just like any garden then, I suppose? No, I mean, the beauty of a green roof is they're so low maintenance, if they're done well, you don't yeah. really have to worry about it. And, you know, okay. now, last summer, I'm not into irrigating because actually plants are quite good at bouncing back. So one of the right. problems in a, in a, in a, last year was that it's the grass that goes yellow and it's grass yeah. that sets on fire. There was a wild, and it's slightly, there is, this is relevant. So there was a wildfire near here. I went the next yeah. day and all over where the wildfire was, all the wildflowers were still alive. They were green because they're deep rooted. Okay. Right? So it's grass that wants to go on fire. So, you know, the great thing about a green roof is you generally don't put grass on it. So it takes longer to, to die off, but it will. But the beautiful things about wildflowers are is they will bounce back. If right, you irrigate okay. something too much, once you stop irrigating, everything's going to die because they get right. used to the drug. So try not right. to put too much water on your roof. Okay, that's a good tip. Really, I like that tip. Lean and mean. The main thing is, you know, to keep things as native as possible. Just right. stopping putting non-natives in, but do things which are good. And the other thing is, what's important in a garden is to have, you know, it's a bit technical. This is have wildflowers which have different sizes of sepals, right? Mm-hmm. So long sepals, sepals which long-tongued bees could go into, and then you have things like daisies which have really tiny sepals. So the short-tongued can. So you want, want diversity is best. Diversity is best. Okay. Get rid of the yep. lawn. Get rid of the lawn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a there's a uh, a lawn near me. They've just let it grow wild. You know, it looks great. Yeah, and just so that they, so everybody knows that they've done it deliberately. They've sort of just mowed around the outside. Yeah. The, you know, the circumference. You know, the perimeter. Yeah, I get <laughs> so. I get told off on social media for being. Uh, somebody told me you're you're the lawn Gestapo, Dusty, and I go like I don't like lawns. <laughs> Well, I think we have a problem with everything being too manicured, don't we? This is it, you know, it's everything's too neat and tidy, which is, doesn't help nature. No. You know, I, I walk around, when we have an intense summer storm, I walk around and see all these downpipes coming from people's houses, and they just pour them onto the street, and all that rainwater yeah. is going into the, you know, the sewage system. And you, you yeah. know, in parts of Germany, in parts of actually the United States of America, you're the polluter. You've got to do right. something about it, yeah? Right. So, you know, one of the things you can do is, like, when you've got a downpipe, you can run your rainwater for a rain garden and have, like, temporary right. storage. So they're, like, temporary wetlands. You know, yes. they're just, they're not, um, they're not breaking the drainage route. They're just there. And you have these yes. lovely rain gardens. And Gary and I wrote a guide on this a few years ago. But you just go rain gardens. There's hundreds of sites in America which tell you how to do it. I've got 40 videos I'm slowly making of different aspects of the work that I've done over 25 years and that's what I want to do is I want to communicate I'm, I'm trying to right. move away from being you know Mr policy guru design guru because you know consultancy is a funny old game and I used to be an entertainer and yeah. I, I want to kind of bring 
my knowledge and my entertainment skills to the full yeah. because I feel I've got some stories to tell. You know? I think absolutely, if you can bring your entertainment skills you know, alongside your technical understanding and expertise, that's, that's an absolute winner, isn't it? Dusty, I really want to uh, say thank you. I really appreciate your time and helping to educate us and uh, you know, all the audience. And um, yeah, thank you again. Not at all, Paul. Thanks for inviting me. 